0: hello there my friend welcome to the yours truly podcast more specifically episode 174 of the yours truly podcast my name is claire tuning i am your host thanks for tuning in here with me today on our november episode if you have been hanging around The last several months of the podcast, you know that I have transitioned to monthly episodes. They usually drop around the middle of each month. So here we are in November and you best believe that I have some Thanksgiving pep talk stuff ready to share with all of you today before we get into our guest recording with Victoria Myers from Nourishing Minds Nutrition. Before we get to the Thanksgiving talk, though, I gotta say, since this is very much on the the top of my mind at the moment, I am recording this the day before the episode airs. So that makes today, when I am recording this, Tuesday, November 15th, which if you are a Swifty, if you exist in the Swifty universe, it's a big day because a lot of people received pre-sale codes yesterday evening to take advantage of the early release sale whatever you want to call it of the concert tickets for the eras tour i unfortunately did not receive a pre-sale code it's okay i have been reciting positive affirmations good vibes in my brain today manifesting that I will indeed get a ticket when they go on normal sale on Friday. So cross your fingers for me. But if you are someone who was lucky enough to receive a presale code, I hope it is going well. Maybe you're listening to this episode with the electronic tickets in hand. I do not envy the position you were probably in this morning when you were sitting in the queue with thousands and thousands of people ahead of you stressing over whatever the heck Ticketmaster was doing, but I hope you made it to the other side of the Great War just doing fine. I know I said in my Instagram story that Ticketmaster just called all of us up again to break us like a promise so casually cruel in the name of being ticket master because that's just what they do but it'll be okay at least i hope anyways we are heading into thanksgiving it is almost a week exactly from when this episode is going to be released and i wanted to spend a little bit of time in the intro of this episode talking through some reminders about eating and the holidays and some tips that i have as well for navigating diet talk that will inevitably pop up somewhere if not around your thanksgiving table you'll probably See diety ads, or you will overhear coworkers talking. Unfortunately, it feels unavoidable. So, we'll talk about how to manage it. First, though, some general eating reminders heading into a holiday. This applies to Thanksgiving or any other day where food or a big meal is the focal point of the day. First reminder is you do not need to skip meals or starve yourself in order to save up for the delicious meal in the middle or at the end of the day. Your body needs regular, adequate fuel every single day, holidays included. And you might have a big and a delicious meal plan for later in the day, but that does not mean that you don't need to eat leading up to that. In fact, you're probably gonna feel a lot better before, during, and after that big big meal if you are not hangry or unpleasantly hungry heading into it. I've talked a lot on this podcast over the years about the pendulum swing. The more we restrict or the more we delay eating, the more out of control eating is going to feel whenever we are surrounded by food or whenever we can't hold out anymore and ignore those cues. So by eating regularly, by having breakfast, by having lunch, by having a snack, leading up to your holiday meal, it's going to be a more pleasant experience for yourself and probably those around you as well so you can encourage others to not skip their meals either. Second tip reminder. Try to use as much neutral language as possible when talking to yourself and others about food. Now, this applies to every day, not just a holiday, but we have to remember that our words matter, whether they're the words we are saying out loud around a table or the words we are saying to ourselves when we're going to the pantry or when we're building a meal alone at home. So instead of using words like bad or tempting, or sinful to describe these delicious holiday foods, you can try to use neutral, descriptive language. Some examples of this would be crunchy or sweet, savory, words that describe the sensory aspect of eating. You can maybe describe what food group the food comes from, right? This is a grain This is a vegetable. It sounds kind of silly when I'm listing out these examples, but I promise we cannot do two things at once right? If we are talking to ourselves in these neutral terms, it simply leaves less space for the moralizing negative food thought spiral. And you might jump back and forth between a negative word and a neutral word and might be a little bit of a tug of war there in the the beginning as you start to practice this, but it is okay. Invite yourself when you have a negative food thought What's another way that I can describe this to myself? What is another more neutral word that's probably going to help me feel better about eating? It's going to create an environment where I can feel more connected to my body. That's going to be all around better and more pleasant than using the words like bad or sinful or, you know, shouldn't be eating this, all of that stuff that we hear. Third and final reminder focus on your own plate and remind other people to do the same. Your plate and what you put on your plate is your business and someone else's plate is their business. I promise you there are better things to do around the Thanksgiving table than nitpick someone else's food choices. And if you're listening to this podcast... We probably have nothing to worry about with you being the person making comments about what other people are eating, but for the other people in your life who might be a little bit more apt to make these comments, we can remind him of that same truth. There are better things for us to talk about and catch up on than talking negatively about this delicious food that we all have spent time preparing. Let's talk a little bit now about some diet talk tips or some ways to navigate that inevitable comment from your uncle from your grandparent whoever it might be who always seems to weasel their way into making a negative food or weight related comment that is just completely unnecessary so when i think of my favorite ways to respond to these conversations i think of two categories The first category of responses, I call these my shut it down responses. (laughs) These are ways of responding that are pretty short. They're pretty to the point and they don't leave a whole lot of room for any conversation to continue after these comebacks. So the first one is, this is what sounds good to me right now. If someone makes a comment about, are you really gonna eat that? Or I can't believe you're going back for seconds. Following that up with, well, this is what sounds good to me right now. Period. End of sentence. Move on. Second comment. This reminds me of one of the tips I offered a few minutes ago, but I'm not making comments about what is on your plate. So you do not have to make comments about what is on mine. Straight to the point. Very matter of fact. This is what I'm doing. So you can do the same. We do not have to talk about what we are eating in a negative way. The last go-to that I have here in this shut it down category is just to change the subject entirely, (laughs) right? If they say something negative, if they are trying to make you feel guilty for what or how much you're eating, you cannot even acknowledge the comment that has been made and bring up something else altogether. The weather, mm, Christmas list, what you're going to shop for on small business Saturday or Black Friday, if that's a a part of your life, just change the subject entirely to something that has nothing to do with food, weight, or bodies. Now, the second category of comments are what I call the invite them to think about what they just said responses. So the first one in this category is, well, that's kind of a weird comment to make, don't you think? Or that's kind of inappropriate, don't you think? (laughs) Something to just make them look back on what they said and assess that, yeah, maybe it is weird that I'm commenting on someone else's body when that is the least interesting thing about them. Or maybe it is weird or it is inappropriate that I am making a comment about what someone has chosen to wear when so many things have happened in the last year since I've seen them. The second comment is, what do you mean by that? Now this one, be mindful if you do not have the energy, the bandwidth, or the interest in continuing along this line of conversation, this probably is not going to be the best way to respond. But if there's a serial offender, if someone is always saying things that are just not helpful, they do not need to be said related to food or body, asking them, what do you mean by that? And usually what I find when we ask someone this, it makes them not only reflect back on what they just said, but in reflecting, in order to repeat themselves, they usually have to reword the question, reframe it, or even sometimes the act of just making them say it again. Sometimes in that process, they realize, "Ooh, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, or maybe this is being taken differently than the way I intended it, so I should just fully walk that comment back. Again, it's not going to happen all the time maybe this is giving more credit to individuals always being thoughtful and well-meaning and i know that's not always the case but inviting someone what are you implying what did you mean by that i find depending on the person and the environment can be helpful again when we are deciding how to respond to diet talk i think it's really important first that you check in with yourself how are you feeling what kind of energy do you have? Do you need to protect your energy? And using all of the information that you gather from those questions to help you decide if you need a shut it down response, or if you can have a invite them to think about what they just said response. But on that note, we're going to pivot to today's conversation with Victoria Myers. I have titled this episode, Is It Healthy or Is It Orthorexia? And I think this is a really important topic to talk about at any time of the year, but especially as we head into the holiday season where we're probably going to be faced with a lot of different and fun foods in our family and social gatherings. You know, this is a time of year where it's important to remember that, of course, food is fuel but it's also so much more than food alone it is tradition it's connection it's culture celebration and a lot of other things that we tend to forget if we are so zeroed in on only eating "quote unquote" healthy foods and not allowing any flexibility in our eating patterns and our choices But first, a little bit about Victoria here. Victoria Myers is the dietitian and owner of the virtual private practice and online education center, Nourishing Minds Nutrition. Victoria and her staff specialize in empowering women to ditch diets, regulate their hormones, heal digestion, and learn to practice wellness without obsession. She is also the host of the popular intuitive eating and wellness podcast, the Nourishing Women podcast. Her mission for her community is to help women let go of the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy, make peace with their body, and live their lives to the fullest. So without further ado, let's get into this chat with Victoria. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Victoria. Welcome to the Yours Truly
1: podcast. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you too. Thank you so much for having me. I am pumped to be here. I'm pumped that you're here. I feel really lucky that you and
0: I have gotten... A lot of interaction with one another in the past, I guess, since the start of this year. That's when we first met, air quotes there. We haven't met in person, but when we were first introduced, and then we've been able to keep up not only on social, but through podcasting as well. So before we get into who you are and what you do and all the goodness you're going to share. I have a little this or that game ready for us to play. You ready? Right. I am ready. Ask away. Okay. First question, iced or hot coffee? Oh, hot. Absolutely. Okay. That, <laughs> I, I disagree, but you know,
1: you know, I'm not going to yet I'm sitting here with like my cup of iced coffee that I never, never drink iced down. coffee ever. <laughs> like I can't remember last time I drank iced coffee hot all the way.
0: (laughs) So you're, um, you are in South Carolina, which I mean, the climate in South Carolina and Virginia isn't too, too different, but I would venture to say it's a little bit hotter there year round than it is here. And you still are team
1: hot coffee. You're like, weather does not deter me. Weather (laughs) does not deter me. It is like, you have to start the day off with hot coffee. That's just I mean, have done it since I've been like 15. So yeah, I'm like, I just can't even imagine cold coffee in the morning. It's just, even when I lived in Florida, hot coffee. Wow. Yeah. I know some people like you, it's like, no matter
0: the season, no matter the weather, it's the hot cup in the morning. I, uh, I'm the exact opposite. I say, no matter the season, no matter the weather, it's always cold in the morning. I like a (laughs) cold beverage. (laughs) we can agree to disagree there agree to disagree i'm a beverage girl through and through and i like it ice but hey it's good both ways let's be honest it
1: is. it's coffee um, it's life-saving
0: yeah second question unrelated to coffee preference do you prefer virtual work or in-person
1: work Mm, it's such a good question. I, I mean, I'm going to say virtual because that's my entire business and mm-hmm. business model is virtually based. However, I do miss in-person events and seeing people like even like podcasts like this are so lovely. Cause it's like all of us online business owners get to kind of like have our own colleagues and coworkers, which we don't really get. It can be lonely, but I do prefer virtual just because of the flexibility it gives me. I really like, I can work anytime anywhere do it whenever I want to like that flexibility even though it can be lonely is is worth it to me
0: I'm with you there I fully agree on the occasional twinge of loneliness or it's nice to have that in-person interaction but I really do feel that the benefits of virtual right everyone gets to be in the comfort of their own home we probably get to see more people and interact with more people who we wouldn't always have access to. If we were doing everything in person, I think it comes with its benefits for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Next question. Ice cream related chocolate or vanilla flavor chocolate. I'm with you. Or, I mean, I didn't give you this third option, but the twist, like when you twist them together or I guess, yeah, I guess this is mostly with custard. Not that you couldn't put a scoop of chocolate and vanilla together, <laughs> but specifically with custard. I don't know if you have
1: Aritas near you there. I, I I don't think we do, but I know what you're talking about. I yeah. would do the swirl probably if that was like an option. It's the best of all the worlds. You get the
0: chocolate and you get a little bit of the nice Vanilla e flavor. How else do you
1: describe vanilla other than vanilla e? <laughs> vanilla e. Yeah, yeah, that sounds delicious. I'm also gonna be like annoying and say, actually, what I would choose is peanut butter flavored cookie dough ice cream. Have you ever had that? No, but, like, that is highly specific, but I know it's good. <laughs> <laughs> vanilla mixed with some peanut butter and like cookie dough. Ooh, so good.
0: Yeah. I'm typically a cookies and cream gal or an Oreo
1: ice cream. I dig that too. I dig that too. What about mint? Here I I am asking you the questions now. I'm like, what, tell me a little bit more about your ice cream preferences.
0: (laughs) You are such a seasoned podcast host yourself. You're like, and now my podcast, (laughs) I love it. Um, it depends on the day for mint for me. It also depends on the brand, like the mint that is green, people know what I'm talking about. The green mint ice cream in my mind is better than the mint chocolate chip where the ice cream's white. If you know, do you do the exact opposite? I'm like, no, I don't like the green. (laughs) I'm like, if it looks like a fake flavoring, give it to me. I I die. That's great. That's That's funny. Uh, We're learning a lot in this intro segment and it's that our preferences are quite different, at least so far. Uh, we'll see about these final two though. These final two don't have anything to do with food. So my first one book or TV, like if you're going to have an evening and being on the couch, relaxing, what would you prefer to have along for the adventure?
1: A book, but I feel like I choose the TV pretty frequently, but a book I'm going to go with book. Yeah. Are you a fiction reader or nonfiction or both? Everything I love reading so much. Um, I just read Mexican Gothic, I think is the book. It was so good. I read it an entire weekend. That's how good it was. So I I yeah. love reading for sure.
0: That's the hallmark of a good book when it's like I devoured I this so quickly. I'm um I can be the same way with books sometimes.
1: Final question Are you more
0: of an early bird or a night owl?
1: Oh, early bird. I'm not a night owl, never have been, never will be, even like when I was young in college. I was just like, I just I gotta go to bed now. Bye.
0: Yeah. We, we can agree on that one for sure. I am most definitely someone who's just naturally more awake in the morning. Mm -hmm. Any of my friends or acquaintances would tell you if I sit down in the evening to watch anything on TV, I will be asleep in less than an hour. Yeah. <laughs> sure.
1: I don't usually fall asleep watching TV, but I just can't, I would so much rather like, there's nothing better to me than a morning with hot coffee and journaling. <sighs> oh, and if I can do that outside in a cozy chair, I mean, my, like my life is made. That's probably my favorite part of every day. It's like my slow, quiet mornings. Morning. mornings. Asking me questions or talking to me,
0: we love that for can you. You tell them an <laughs> introvert. I can tell we have your early mornings with your hot coffee, and then we have your evenings with uh, the white mint chocolate chip ice cream or the peanut butter cookie dough.
1: Yeah, there we go. In a book, I love and it. a book, a book. I didn't plan for
0: all of those questions to come together, but they did. Uh, now that we've played a little bit of this or that, and we've all gotten to know you, we meaning me and the listener base in a fun way. I would love for you to whatever extent that you want to, just to introduce yourself, share or share what it is that you do and also how you ended up in the non-diet space. Cause I don't think I know that I would love to learn.
1: Yeah, I would love to share it. So thank you for asking. So um, I am the owner and co-founder of Nourishing Minds Nutrition. We're a virtual private practice and online education center that specializes in helping women to make peace with food, to trust their bodies again, and live wellness without obsession. And wellness without obsession is kind of like our thing. It's our trademark term. And the reason for that is, is our primary specialty is orthorexia, which I have a feeling we're probably going to talk about today. So any spectrum though of chronic dieting, disordered eating, orthorexia, and eating disorder recovery is what we do. And we really just love helping people actually understand what intuitive eating looks like, like how, you, how to actually live it, um, how to practice body response body respect and trust your body again. And how to, if health is a value of yours, how do you practice health in a non-obsessive way, in a non-dogmatic way? Uh, and because of that, and since we see a lot of disordered eating and orthorexia, we also do a lot of hormone and digestion work because um, hormone conditions like such, like as PCOS can often make people get a little obsessive with their, their food intake because they're being told all these crazy things on the internet Mm -hmm. that they're supposed to do to, to manage those conditions. And then same with like IBS management, there's so much information out there on the internet these days. Plus, we know, disorder eating is such a such a big cause of digestive issues. So we see like our biggest thing that we do is intuitive eating and body image healing, but we also do a lot of hormone work and digestive work in our private practice. But for our online education center, that is group coaching. It's online courses. We also have quarterly master classes. That stuff is really centered specifically on making peace with food, trusting your body, the intuitive eating body image stuff. And then how I got into it is honestly a very personal story as is so many of ours. I struggled, Very much with my own relationship with food and body, I always had negative body image thoughts, even like when I was a young kid, but I started to diet, which quickly spiraled into disordered eating and an eating disorder around 16. And it lasted for like almost a decade. And as I look back, the thing that I just can see so clearly that I struggled with the most with was, was orthorexia. So this unhealthy obsession with eating healthy. Now mine manifested it in a lot of different ways. Like I always describe it as like, it was a little bit chronic dieting as and binge eating. It was a lot of like shape shifting, depending on the type of information I was absorbing at the time, but like I said, kind of like the overarching theme is just this obsession with like, how do you eat right? How do you have the perfect body? And I struggled a lot with perfectionism, especially as a dietitian. I felt like I needed to look, to look and act the part. And yeah, I, I woke up from all of that, that decade long experience of orthorexia and disordered eating, um, actually right after my honeymoon, because I died pretty intensely the year leading up to my wedding, um, had our wedding and our honeymoon experience. I unfortunately like binge ate my entire honeymoon and those are like the most vivid memories I have still eight years later of my honeymoon. But I am really grateful for that because it woke me up. And then from there, I just immersed myself in the intuitive eating. Like, I want to say, like, I can't remember where I found out first about intuitive eating. It was some random blog, but i mean it immediately spoke to me i focused first on healing my relationship with food and body for about 2 or 3 years and 5 years ago i opened the practice that is now a team of dietitians and myself helping people again in these variety of ways these online courses and group coaching and one on one counseling and it is the best freaking job in the world as you know <laughs> <laughs> i do know we uh, are kind of one and the same
0: in parts of our story in our online practices and in the people we help as well. And as you share a little bit more about your story, you were talking about how you personally have struggled with some of the Mm -hmm. orthorexic or more obsessive tendencies related to health and wellness. And yeah, we'll talk more about that here in a couple of minutes, but now that I have the context of your story, it makes a lot of
1: sense. Why the tagline of your business, I don't want to, is it wellness without obsession? Wellness without obsession. Yeah. And that actually came from like gosh, the first couple of years of our business just makes me cackle a little to think of, but we were just, just putting things out there. You know, we had an ebook at the time and we ended off a paragraph with like something about wellness without obsession. And it just clicked. And it's been like community kind of like took it over and was like, like it started, they started a hashtag. And then um, probably like three years ago, I was like, I need to trademark this term because this is, this is good stuff. And especially those in our community really seem to resonate with it. This idea of, yes, I do want to care for my body, but can I do it without obsession and without that dogmatic behavior that I do think the health and wellness world really unfortunately encourages in us.
0: Yeah. You always know when you put something out there and people latch on to it or they're like, I love that reminder. That's so helpful for me. You know, you've struck gold. So run with it and keep it as yeah. the, the tagline of the business. But since we're on this topic of wellness without obsession. Everyone listening, it's trademarked. Don't run away with it. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I'd love for you to share a little bit more. Maybe it's a a definition. Maybe you can offer some examples of what orthorexia is and how you see it manifesting in Mm -hmm. the people you work with. I know at least in the dietitian sphere, right? Everyone listening is not a dietitian. I have all different types of listeners, but I know at least in our side of social media, it's something that's talked about a lot, but I've also had people comment on my post being like, what, what does that mean? I've never heard this before. So yeah, if you could just offer a definition and how you see it
1: manifesting and we'll go from there. Yeah. So the way I like to describe it and like the most simple definition is, is the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy. And I think it could even extend into like healthy living behavior. So, uh, exercise, the type of products you use and just like the, the ways that again, like healthy living these days is so much more than even like healthy eating. It's mm-hmm. obsession with all these different, like the right and wrong way, so to speak, to do things. So, um, you know, I think what's so interesting about orthorexia, um, for those that may not know, this is not in the statistic and diagnostic manual, right? So it's not a classified eating disorder. You can't meet the criteria for it. Cause it's not a defined eating disorder. Um, I wish it would be, but I also understand why it's not at this point because it exhibits a lot of similarities to anorexia, sometimes bulimia. Um, you can also say like eating disorder, not otherwise specified. So like, I get why it's not necessarily classified yet. Although I think it would give a lot of credibility to the, to the term if we mm-hmm. could make that happen. So hopefully near succumb come that will occur, but, um, You know, I, again, if you could kind of think of like the hallmark symptoms, it's people being obsessed with eating and living well. So it could be something from you spend hours and hours researching the right way to eat. You spend a lot of time obsessing over how others eat, particularly, um, trying to emulate maybe other people's, what I ate in a day videos or their post. Um, it's, you know, obsessively looking at nutrition fact labels or reading ingredient lists. You only choose ingredient lists that have less than five ingredients, or you can pronounce everything. And you know, even is still, maybe it's like an obsession with eating whole foods or real foods. I mean, I think part of that is a little complicated to explain because it can look different for every people or for every person. So like some, someone experiencing orthorexia might, one person might be obsessed with like clean and whole foods, right. Or the concept of clean eating, which. There's no like real definition of that, but like, that might be like their thing where another person, and it could be calories or macro counting. So it does look different for different people. But the thing I always say is like, if, if your health habits, no matter what they look like, uh, if they cause stress and anxiety and worry, or if you feel like you have to be hyper vigilant in order to achieve health that is something to reflect on. Like we should not have stress and anxiety if we can't read the menu ahead of time when we go to a restaurant or if our ingredient list on a bar that we're eating doesn't meet our exact qualifications. Or if you, um, you know, if you're going out to eat with, uh, friends or you're going to a social gathering or maybe a party and like, you can't allow yourself to consume the food there, because again, it's not clean or whole, mm-hmm. of course, we're always going to say like say any med- medical or ethical things. Like, of course, that's a different scenario, or if you have food allergies, but like for people, like here's a big one, like saying that you just eat gluten-free and dairy-free for no reason other than you believe they're inflammatory, right? Mm-hmm. It's not because you actually have a medical reason to, to avoid those foods, but rather you just believe you shouldn't consume them. That's a great example of it. And again, there's just this huge overarching stress and anxiety and worry and judgment and shame, all these really intense emotions tied into the experience of like what it means to be healthy. Mm -hmm. I think
0: the thing that's really tough about orthorexia, I know I have like thought this when I was a nutrition student, I see this in people who I work with is oftentimes, right? If health is a value that someone holds. If they want to make behavior changes in their life to support their health, right. They might get into some of these behaviors with a positive intention. Like Mm, I want to care for my body. I want to eat in a way that makes me feel good. I want to, you know, move in a way that makes me feel energized and pleasant at the end of the day. But I think where the line gets a little bit blurred is when do these health-promoting behaviors become not so healthy at the end of the day? And um, I know on on social media, and maybe you get this as well when you make videos about orthorexia or orthorexic tendencies, because I know I've gotten this, right? When you're pointing out all of these things or giving examples, there will, without a doubt, be someone or multiple people in the comments being like, so you don't want me to take care of my health or you don't think it's a good idea for people to eat vegetables, right? (laughs) Obviously those comments are very much taking this message and blowing it out of proportion. But I guess my my question for you is, where is that line? And I know it's gonna be different for everyone because like you were saying earlier, these behaviors look different for every person. But if someone is listening And some of the examples you were offering were kind of piquing their interest or grabbing their attention. And they're trying to figure out, okay, I started this behavior a while ago for whatever reason. I thought it was a good idea. It's what I thought was best for my health. But now I'm starting to wonder, is it helpful for me or is it coming at the expense of my well-being? What are maybe some reflection points or guiding
1: tips you might offer? to help them decide. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I love that you're asking this question because you're right. It is a huge misconception. People hear us say one thing like, Hey, being obsessed with your health behaviors is not healthy. And they take that to mean, like, Oh, we're saying you should never move your body or never eat a vegetable. And obviously like that's a reflection of that person and where they are, if they take that message to that extreme, because it's pretty obvious. If you listen to a single podcast episode or read the context of a caption or anything we're talking about, it's like, no, this is not about saying like health. Uh, if it is a value, which I I, I always like to get that clarification because it doesn't have to be, but if it is like, there's ways to do it, um, and still care about your body and take care of it, but it does not have to be obsessive. So the things that I think a person, if they're like listening, they're like, okay, okay. I hear you mate. like, am I struggling? I don't know. Um, the, the things I would look for is lack of flexibility mm-hmm. that you cannot be flexible with these behaviors, right? Like if you have to eat a certain amount of vegetables per day, you have to exercise a certain amount of days per week mm What happens if something in life happens and you cannot partake in that amount of vegetables or that exercise for the day or whatever it may be for you. So if there's lack of flexibility, um, as I already mentioned, if there's extreme stress and worry and anxiety, um, judgment or shame riddled in these decisions, or your lack of ability to participate, or if it like takes over your entire day, like you can't have fun or do anything in your day until you meet these health qualifications you've tasked yourself with. I think that's a big indicator. And that kind of ties into the third thing of like affecting your quality of life. I mean, I think anytime a health behavior is affecting your quality of life, whether that's mental or physical, that is something to reflect upon because like, what is the reason we're trying to care for our bodies. It's because we want to live a fun, happy, healthy life, right? Like we want to feel our best so that we can enjoy our lives to the fullest. If your health and these behaviors, is just taking over your day. And that's all that you think about. So that you do, if you can't partake in it, you just have extreme remorse and anxiety. Like that's just something to reflect on because like, it's like completely negating the whole point of it all.
0: Yeah. Something that I encourage my clients to do. And I wonder if you have a similar thing in your practice or if you think this is also a good idea, but I will often ask, especially if I'm working someone, um, working with someone who is struggling with orth- orthorexic tendencies, I will ask, so what is your definition of health, right? That's going to be different for everyone. And I really invite them to zoom out
1: mm-hmm. on that
0: definition of health. So if you would like to include a physical piece where things like food and movement would go under that. Yes, that can be a segment, but when we really zoom out, we see that health is not only physical. It can be emotional. Mm
1: -hmm. It
0: can be spiritual. It can be mental, all of these things. And I think what you are touching on that brought this to my mind is if we start noticing that the pursuit of some of these more like physical things, whether it's the way I eat or how I move or how much I eat, if that is getting in the way, or if that is preventing you from doing something else that falls into those other categories, then it's not health promoting. Um, You've even used the example a few times about social outings and eating with others. Maybe it's a tradition, maybe it's a cultural thing. If one of these eating rules or movement behaviors is preventing you from doing that especially if that's something you enjoy I think it's something to get curious about like you're saying and really assess is this adding the value that I was intending for it to add or that I was
1: hoping that it would give me um is that something that you ever have your clients do Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a great question for like all the listeners just to sit and think about like, what does health mean to you? Because I know for me and for so many of my clients, when they actually zoom out and look at the big picture, like you mentioned, Claire, it is about so much more than just physical health or health behaviors. It's really looking at the whole picture of a person, uh, maybe even thinking of that idea of like mind, body, and spirit, right? Like how can I best care for myself? It's not just the physical things. Um, whenever we're talking about that too, I always like to go through like the social determinants of health with mm-hmm. clients too, because. because. Because when you can see that like so much of our health is not just specific to food and exercise behaviors, you can see that like, wow, like I'm getting so fixated on something that's not the, the biggest pieces of the pie, so to speak um, of what really matters or what impacts my health to begin with. So I don't need to get so fixated on the small day-to-day behaviors. The thing we always say is like, it's the lump sum of your behaviors over like your entire lifespan for the behaviors that we do have control over at least, which also includes things like what, like smoking cessation and alcohol moderation. It's not just food and exercise, like sleep, stress management. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Like all that stuff, digestive health, like hormones, like it, it, those things matter, but like it's, it's not about like perfecting it day in and day out. It's just about like over the long, some of your life, were you able to move your body? If you were able bodied and able to do so, have you been able to eat nourishing foods, but also have food freedom? Like, I think it, it's just a little bit more flexible when you think about it in that lens.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that you bring up too, um, within the realm of these behaviors, Still, if we zoom out in the social determinants of health, that's still only a small fraction of things mm-hmm. that we have a relative amount of control over, right? We have all of these other things. And if anyone's interested, just do a quick Google. Social yeah. determinants of health, right? See
1: how find it on CDC's website. It's actually pretty
0: accessible. Yep. There we go. Like, see how behaviors and things like food really only make up this like small little chunk. And then so many other things that lie outside of the realm of our control, be it the environment, right. Where we live or the genetics that we have, right. Things that we were born into those things, also economic play, status. Yeah. Yep. Those things That's also cool. play, um, a really huge role. So Victoria, final thing that I would love to, to get from you quickly here before, uh, we run out of time before I, you <laughs> you have done a couple of videos on TikTok that have now made their way to Instagram. And, um, I am not a singer, so I'm not going to sing the sound, but it's like the one where it's, I think it's a playoff of the Bastille song. Like, uh, is it
1: Pompeii? Is it the emotional damage one? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like emotional damage. Yeah. We're both as singers. I'm going to like, I'm going to stop myself on my head, but yeah, I know what, what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. And you did one variation of like Uh, foods or things that happened in the nineties that damaged our relationship with food. And you have a current one of like things happening now that are damaging our relationship with food. So this is a big question, what I'm about to ask you, but if you had to pick like one or two off of that current list of like things you see now that are causing us emotional damage when
1: it comes to food, what, uh, what comes to mind for you or what tops that list? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll actually say the things that I included in that video. So what I ate in a day videos, especially mm-hmm. ones that are, um, prefaced with a, picture or a video of someone's body. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's extremely disordered because it's essentially saying like, Hey, if you eat and move your body, like me, you can look like me, which is just simply not true. And we don't know anything about that person. We don't know if they're struggling with their relationship with food. We don't know their health status. We don't know if they actually ate the things that they said they did. I just think they're problematic for a lot of reasons. So definitely what I ate in a day videos, um, I just have a huge issue these days with the holistic health and wellness industry, which is interesting because in the beginning of our practice, we actually like leaned a little bit more to that side Mm -hmm. and. These days, I'm just so fed up with it. And I'm saying this because the celery juice trend is, is another one that I mentioned, not just like celery juice. Of course, celery juice isn't like hurting your relationship with food. If you enjoy celery juice, go for it. However, this idea that one food and one food alone can solve all your, all your health problems, all your life problems. It's just simply not true. And I think that speaks to the, the concept that's really big in the health and wellness world, right? Which is like, eat these things. Don't eat these things. Varies dramatically on who you're following. And that's the only way to have health. Health these days, and I think this is why orthorexia just continues to escalate, is so fixated on like the right and wrong way to eat. And, you know, some people's calorie restriction, but for most people, it's more so fixated on like the right and wrong food groups. And I just think this idea, again, that like certain foods can solve all your issues and certain foods are causing all of them or causing inflammation is just not accurate at all. And then the third thing I'd say is intermittent fasting. I just, freaking hate it so much. It's like telling someone disordered eating to have an excuse not to eat. It's ridiculous. Oh yeah.
0: And like so many of the things you were uh, mentioning as well with the right and the wrong way or eat this one thing and have all of your life's problems be solved. It's, it's misleading. It's an oversimplification of health and bodies and nutrition nothing is that black or white other than if you're allergic to something, don't eat it. That's damaging. Right. That's really pretty. It's like the one thing
1: we can say, but like, it just, it just drives me nuts at this point. I'm like, we know that this isn't true. Like, if you see that out there, someone being like, just do this one thing or don't eat this one thing, like to me, red flag immediately. This person's just trying to make money off of you.
0: Yeah. It's another one of those TikTok sounds like red flag.
1: Yeah. Red flag. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that one.
0: Yeah. Um, huge red flag. <laughs> well, thank you for going a little rapid fire. Like, look out for this. Don't listen to that here at the end. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure talking with you again reconnecting, uh, for anyone who is new to you, new to your business, and they want to learn more about nourishing minds, nutrition, or things you all have going on. Feel free to plug where people can find you and anything
1: you might have available. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. I love, love, love getting to talk with you. Um, yeah, you can find us probably the easiest way is just come hang out with us on Instagram at, at nourishing minds, nutrition, nourishing minds nutrition and um there you can find our link to all of our resources and we actually have quite a bit we have a podcast called the nourishing women podcast we release two episodes a week so like tons of information there we have a blog with weekly blog posts uh instagram we're new on tiktok but we're having fun there yeah. <laughs> um so lots of free resources and that like i mentioned at the beginning of this episode we also have tons of um different tiered options from master classes to online courses and group coaching and one-on-one counseling and it's our absolute honor to help people so if you're needing any support in any of the things we talked about today we would love to help you
0: You all have so many resources and so many places where people can find you. And, um, yeah, for anyone who is not familiar with nourishing minds, nutrition, be sure to check the show notes. We'll have all that listed, check out Victoria and her team. And again, it was a pleasure speaking with you, but, uh, for now we're going to go ahead and sign off. I didn't prep you on this, but just say your first name after I say mine and we'll be good to go. That's what I forgot to tell you at the start of the episode. Um, But we'll sign off by saying yours, Julie, Claire and Victoria. And that's a wrap for episode 174 here on the Yours Chili podcast with Victoria Myers. Thank you so much to Victoria for being here and talking about is it healthy or is it orthorexia? I hope you found this conversation as a listener to be really useful and pertinent heading into the holiday season. But speaking of you, the listener, if you liked today's conversation, if you got value from it, it would mean the world to me. If you could share this in some capacity, you can can take a screenshot and share it to your social media story. Be sure to tag me and Victoria as well if you'd like so we can say hey and thanks for listening. You can also tap the three dots somewhere located on your screen to get the link to today's episode and share that out via text message or email with someone in your life who you think could benefit from this conversation. If you are listening to this episode before the Thanksgiving holiday, before the Black Friday, into Small Business Saturday, into Cyber Monday weekend, keep your eyes out for a special offer. I'm like tapping my fingers very secretively over here, but I do have something coming on the Friday after Thanksgiving. It will be for you if you've ever wanted to dive into topics like meal planning and emotional eating and learning your body's appetite cues, and you've wanted to get into those with the support of a dietitian, but you don't want to spend hundreds and thousands on -on one-on-one sessions, this is going to be for you. So I'm going to leave it there, but stay tuned for the announcement on the Friday after Thanksgiving, and again, Thanks for being here, but I will see you next month in December for our final episode of 2022. But until then, take care and happy eating.